0: Second last question, what would you tell, trying to see how I want to frame this, what would you tell either your college senior self, or your uh, just finishing Peace Corps self? If you had to go back a couple years, what would you tell yourself?
1: I think that those are both like inflection points where you want to, where like there's a lot of soul searching when you find yourself looking at job boards and you're like, but I feel overqualified or I'm underqualified. Um, I would say like, no matter what, where you are and, and the anxiety about, am I going to get the right job? I would always say like, use every single experience that you have as a learning experience. Hey
0: everybody out there. This is Kevin O'Connell, founder of The Niche Movement. Thank you so much for, for clicking on this episode. This is gonna kick off one of at least six fireside chats that we're doing with part of our niche tour. And so I just want to provide about 90 seconds to two minutes of context of, of this interview we did with Noelle London. She's a campus manager of 1776. And yeah, we had a chance to interview her in front of about 40 people uh, at WeWork White House on Thursday, March 9th. And uh, it's, it's very interesting because we, she was one of the speakers that I, I connected with to recruit to speak for our original conference. And she had such a dynamic an engaging personality matched with a unique career story um, that I just knew that we had to sit down with her for at least 45 minutes and interview her rather than having her talk for 10 minutes. And so that's exactly what we did. And I think you'll really get into this episode if uh, you are the type of person that is looking to get involved with social entrepreneurship and what does that mean. Uh, I think you'll also enjoy this episode if You are the type of person that is looking to take risks and figure out how to to do that, how to build up not only the the confidence, but how to actually be practical in in pulling that off. Uh, And the second thing is Noelle got really involved right out of college. Uh, She actually went to the College of Charleston and grew up in South Carolina, but she she actually wound up going into the Peace Corps and going to Nicaragua for 27 months and volunteering there to teach entrepreneurship to uh, the different communities there. And so, just the volunteer piece, the service learning piece, social entrepreneurship uh, is really fascinating. But then, even towards the end of the interview, she talks about her role at 1776, what it is, uh, you know, to give you a quick insight, it's a global incubator. She was talking about some of the cool and just fascinating companies and startups that are coming out of there to solve some of the world's toughest issues and providing some, some great resources uh, in a variety of economic climates here in our world. So. Uh, I would highly suggest checking it out and then even the Q&A at the end I think was really special. So, without further ado, I'm going to let you guys jump right into this episode but thanks so much for clicking on this and please, no matter if you find this on our website or iTunes, please subscribe and or share. You know that means the world to, uh, to a blog and community that is still in, in, in its infancy uh, so we really appreciate any, anybody that you can share this with because I know it will resonate with somebody. Thanks so much and enjoy this episode. My name is Kevin O'Connell and uh, I'm the founder of the Niche Movement. I never know what to expect with these events as far as the turnout, the faces that I'm going to see in the audience, and uh, obviously what we have in store with the conversation we're going to have with Noel. Noel emailed me yesterday, she's like, Kev, what are the questions going to be? And I'm like, here's a gist, but I want to try to keep it as spontaneous and real as possible. And uh, so that's what we have in store. And I, I first want to give a couple shout outs and kind of talk about how this came to life. The Nichiren just celebrated their four year anniversary last, this past February, where it started out as a blog and a passion project, uh, to then interviewing 30 young professionals, writing a book, to then doing meetups and happy hours, to then all the way doing events like this where we did an informal fireside chat at Crystal City we work, not knowing what to expect. Simultaneously, everybody you see here in the teal shirts, we were all trying to plan this crazy two day conference with 150 young professionals and college students. 30 speakers, and I walked away from that fireside chat event and I said that's what I want the niche to be. It's about stories, it's about being in an intimate setting and, and really hearing what somebody went through, the, the ups and downs of their career, whether they're 25 or 45 or 55. And we've gone through several iterations and innovations and I stand here before you tonight saying that I had this dream. Uh, about it was May of last year that we were going to plan this conference, and this is the kickoff event where we're basically going between here, New York City, and Boston and doing these two hour events happy hour, meetup, meets, live interview. And uh, I'm really happy to have Noel as our first guest. But before I do that, I would not be up here and we, you guys would not be here if it wasn't for one, we work, but two, uh, all the logos uh, that you see up here of their generosity, their support, and, and their belief, really, because. We went from, one, having a conference in the the fall to then having it in the spring to then saying, hey, we're scratching the entire idea and we're actually going to do a tour. And every single one of those companies up there said, we love it. We got your support. Anyway, we can help. We're here for you. And uh, and we wouldn't be doing a series of six or seven events if it wasn't for these companies. Uh, The second thing, again, everybody you see up here in the teal shirts, they are part of this team. And uh, I don't think we have time now. We're going to do it at the end. But this is the first time all seven of us are in the same room. We have people from Albany to up near Princeton, New Jersey. And uh, so I'm just really excited to see our team come come together here to put on this event for you guys, one of many. Um, but before I introduce Noel, one of our, our sponsors we just uh, just partnered with this week, actually, is uh, APCO Worldwide, and so I want to invite Tanika Williams up to just quickly give a shout out because the food and beverage that you're going to see at this event and all the other events have been provided by APCO, and so Tanika, if you want to give a quick shout out to about what APCO's about and what you guys are up to, the mic is yours.
2: Okay, I feel like I should be doing my first stand up. But, um, so I'm Tanika Williams, I'm the HR Director for APCO Worldwide, and I'm such an advocate for Kevin every time he comes and tells me about his vision and he just motivates me and I want to make sure I share that throughout the organization. APCO is about, um, in North America we have about 250 employees, um, but we are worldwide and that's about six, 700, thank you Karimi, and um, we are a women-owned business, yay! For the ladies and, we're a communications firm, and what that means for you guys, because that could mean several things, is basically we work with firms, association um, companies who are dealing, have um, complicated issues that they would like for us to help represent and um, help them get through and um, have conversations around. So I'm so excited again to be a part of this and we will continue to support. Thank you. Oh, and we have, um, I have little, <laughs> We have, we're hiring, yes, thank you Courtney, we're hiring and actually this is the first time since I've been at APCO that we are actually hiring at every one of our North America offices, so that's New York, DC, Seattle, Raleigh, who am I missing, Chicago, and so feel free to go to our website to check that out, there's about 17 open positions and we also have an internship program as well, so please check it out.
0: Thank you APCO and thank you Tiga. So we'll get going here. Um, So now if you want to step up here real quick. So this is Noelle London, everybody. Um, So she is, and even about an hour ago, you told me your title is always evolving, but you campus manager at 1776. She grew up in South Carolina where she went to College of Charleston, took a nonprofit job, and found her way to 1776, which is now a global incubator for companies that uh, are basically trying to bring change to the world. And so I don't want to give too much away about her career, but I would love to, we're going to sit down here and we'll, we'll interview I think we're going to pass the mic back and forth because I don't think you guys, can you guys all hear me? If I can check my voice? No. Yeah, we're going to use the mic. So we'll pass this back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you to my wife for, for always giving me feedback. Thank you, Courtney. Uh, all right, so Noel, the, f- the very first question I'm going to ask you, obviously I just salute to the audience that you're from South Carolina, but do you remember your first job? I do. How old were you? Um, Fifteen. And what were you What were you doing? What was the job? Um,
1: so a good friend of mine, um, her mother owned a boutique in my hometown. I was from a little town called Clemson. You may have heard that they won the national championship this year. Go Tigers. Um, so I was from a college town. Both of my parents uh, were in academia, grew up there. Um, the only real decent boutique that was there, my friend's mom owned. So I started working there when I was 15. Mm-hmm. Um, And within about six months, I convinced her to sell my jewelry um, in her boutique. I'd never taken a jewelry class before, so I think the clasps were probably like falling off of the bracelets, (laughs) but um, somehow that, it was both me working for her and then selling my products through her boutique. Really? Yes.
0: So what got you into that whole jewelry business, and do you still do anything with that?
1: Yes and yes Um, on what got me into the jewelry business. um, I remember being 15 um, and wanting to give my friends and family Christmas presents and not having any money and at that time a job to be able to afford to buy them anything. And so I went to Michael's and bought a bunch of beads and tried to string them on fishing wire and create jewelry and I'd never taken a class and so I um, then people thought they looked nice, they probably fell apart. Um, But then I convinced uh, my friend's mom to let me sell them within this boutique and um, I actually carried on that business, learned how to make actually really decent jewelry over time. Um, over time, it, it definitely wasn't at the beginning. Um, and then I uh, continued to do that through college. So I went to College at Charleston. Um, down there, there's a really strong artisan community. So I was able to sell my things in farmer's markets, do an Etsy store. Um, we'll get into, yeah. you know, we'll get into it, but um, I still do, I still do for fun. Um, I do it, you know. It's it's kind of my outlet, creative outlet on the side. So nothing formally, but it's fun.
0: So you kind of got that entrepreneurship, a little bit of that bug when you were fifteen, and you were starting to make jewelry and sell it.
1: Yeah, I did, and I didn't um, actually, I, I didn't actually um, know that it was entrepreneurship until I found myself at twenty three on a plane to Nicaragua to teach entrepreneurship and at that point it was like, oh, that's what that word means because when I was in college, no one was using the word entrepreneurship. Um, So yeah, I think it's something that's always been a part of me, but no one ever was calling it that. Um, No one ever put really a word or a label or even any like resources on how to build a company or how to be an entrepreneur Um, at that time. Um, but I'm very happy that I hear that you are a professor and doing a little bit of that. Um, you know, high schools across the country are now teaching entrepreneurship um, at a younger age. And so that's awesome because I think unfortunately the majority of entrepreneurs until this point have always had to figure that out on their own. Yeah.
0: So let, let's let go forward and then we'll fill in the gaps from college to 1776. Sure. What is your, what are you doing at 1776? And for everybody out there who doesn't know what 1776 is, what what is? Yeah, so
1: 1776, we're a four-year-old startup ourselves. Um, We were started by two serial entrepreneurs four years ago, right down the street from the White House at um, K and 15th. They both had started a couple of companies themselves, felt like they had to do this all on their own. Um, You found a lot of entrepreneurial support programs on the West Coast. You really didn't find a lot within the region. And then when you think about it, entrepreneurship on the West Coast is pretty different. You're talking about photo-sharing apps. Most of the entrepreneurs that we deal with on a day-to-day basis at 1776 have some sort of social mission attached to what they're doing. That's a whole different skill set that you need to grow those companies. So when you're talking about an education and healthcare focused company, you can't just put them in an accelerator program and say like, okay, go, a class, B class, C class, you need a whole host of regulatory hacking tools. You need to understand public affairs. You need to understand policy. You need to be able to get to the right person. So that's really why 1776 was born was how do we connect entrepreneurs not only to skill sets to build a company but also to the right people so that they can grow those companies. Um, we started four years ago as a small little co-working space. Um, today we actually announced that we are in 20, we've built out a platform in-house. We're now developing out a SaaS product. Basically, if you're in Nairobi, if you're in Shanghai and you want to understand how to tap into marketing talent, we could connect. Hopefully, we can get APCO actually as mentors to 1776 startups, but we could bring them on to the platform and then they can connect with entrepreneurs around the globe to those resources because a lot of times um, when you're in places that don't necessarily have these thriving hubs, you don't have access to those resources. That is what we were doing at 1776. We filled out the platform. We now are in 20 hubs around the globe. As of today, we announced that at South By. Um, And so that's really exciting. What I do with 1776 is brought here to launch and run our second space ever in Crystal City. Um, We're now in five locations. I've stepped up into a different role, so I'm now overseeing our DC region. So um, DC campus, Crystal City campus, virtual membership, and how do we expand within the region?
0: Okay and what is a day in the life of recently look like for noel
1: there is no normal day in the life Um, maybe that's what i love about it maybe that's what attracts me to it is there is never a day in the life Um, but you know i i a day in the life is kind of across the board right now um, helping with a couple of uh, bringing new partnerships on board um, talking with other programs about how we can uh, be uh, helpful to them Um, maintaining those partnerships, talking with new companies that we want to work with, doing a lot of mentorship. Cool. Yeah. So
0: let's let's back up so you went to College of Charleston. Yes. What year did you graduate? I
1: graduated in 2010.
0: Okay and was there a memorable experience at College of Charleston that got you into this social entrepreneurship sector or?
1: No um, I think that it was for me um, actually yeah yeah, uh, I would say studying abroad for me uh, was really an, a formidable experience. I studied abroad in Argentina. Had the chance to go to Peru afterwards. Spent some time in, the, spent some time in Peru. Um, to me, it was really eye-opening of their people around the world that don't have access to the same resources that we do. Um, what is like a hierarchy of needs realize later that's a very complicated question you don't want to tackle, Um, but at that point for me, I was really interested in the idea of uh, international development. Um, Going and seeing, you know, lack of access to clean water and how big of a deal that is and how much that affects communities was really um, interesting and important to me. Um, And so I wanted to uh, go into international development. I started talking to folks about international development. I came from, again, a small college town, but not a very international place, um, and was told, if you want to be a, in an in international development, Peace Corps is really your club. you got to be a part of that club, um, and so I uh, applied to join the Peace Corps, um, and I thought I was going to be digging latrines in Africa as my job after college, Um, I signed up for that. You didn't know when you were leaving. You didn't know where you were going. You had no idea what you were doing. At that point with the Peace Corps application, you just said, sure, I'll give up my life for 27 months and I don't know when I'm leaving. Here we go. Uh, At that point, a a little bit of a risk. Um, Everyone do it if you're interested. Um, I'm such a proponent. Uh, But at that point, um, I had signed up to go and dig latrines in Africa. I had my application put on hold for about a year, um, so I worked for a small nonprofit. Uh, when I was sent to into the Peace Corps, they told me, you're not digging latrines in Africa anymore. You're going to Nicaragua, and you're going to be teaching in Spanish entrepreneurship within three months. Um, at that point, I thought that they were nuts. I started asking my cousins who had gotten their MBAs to send me entrepreneurship books and thought that I needed to be like reading big, thick books on entrepreneurship and thinking like I am not qualified at all to be doing this. Um, I realized very quickly when I got down to Nicaragua that, you know, entrepreneurship is something that is a part of people. It's a a pattern of habits. It is not a book. And if you're reading a book on how you need to build a company, you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for me, that was, um, how I ended up in Nicaragua. Yeah.
0: So you were telling me though, uh, so you graduated with the hopes of just entering Peace Corps right out of college, probably May of 2010. That didn't happen. So what happened and what did you have to do?
1: Yeah. So it was one of those things where I applied, I just made a decision. I remember calling my parents and telling them I'm joining the Peace Corps. My dad's like, Super excited, my mom is like biting her tongue. Um, She's like, go get it, cool. Um, Not super excited about it. Um, So I applied hoping that I was gonna be leaving right after graduating from college with the Peace Corps. They changed the application process a little bit, so I don't want to speak to what it is now. At that point, you really didn't know what you were doing. You were signing into this really long really long application. You didn't know when you were leaving. You didn't know where you were going. You were just like, okay, sign me up. I'm cool. Let's go. Um, and so at that point, I thought I was going to be leaving right after undergrad. You can't, you don't know when you're leaving. They can tell you within six months, okay, you're leaving for two and a half years. You can't really get a like stable job if you know you're leaving. You can't really sign a lease for an apartment, so you're really in this limbo position. Um, fortunately, I, it, it was like one of the best things that had happened. Um, I ended up finding somebody that I still think is an awesome social entrepreneur that I worked for, um, for this organization called Charleston Waterkeepers. It's part of the Waterkeeper Alliance. And so I was doing water policy work with them um, I just had like the best summer with like friends and like spending time and not running off to go into the Peace Corps where I wasn't gonna see any friends and family for two and a half years um, it was really like I learned so much um, from that experience that I think continued on and I wouldn't have had that experience had I just had it off so it made sense
0: yeah so I, I... I'm putting myself in your shoes. I, I feel like I couldn't take that risk. And I don't know how many of you out there could take that risk. So where does that come from? Like you're, you're, you kind of alluded to that your father was really excited. Did it, did it come from your parents' influence? Or like where did that like, I'm graduating, I'm going across the world. Like wh- where does that come from?
1: Totally my parents. Um, I am really fortunate to have parents that are incredible role models to me. Um, I mean, again, I I came from South Carolina. Like, I know we're not supposed to be political here, but just like full disclosure, I mean, I came from a place where my family was super open-minded. My parents um, had done a lot of traveling. They did really cool, they did really cool work. Um, You know, my dad had done stuff, a lot of international work. They, you know, shown us what traveling was like when we were kids. Um, If I, you know, they definitely, it was absolutely an influence of them. They were always... um, every single night of the week, like one of them was at some sort of like community organizing event. Like my dad was on county council for 10 years. My mom led the League of Women Voters. Like both of them were just super active in the community. And I think for me, like all of this goes back to them because it was, yeah, like you might not agree with everyone around you. You might see things that like you, you are not in line with, but like where other people find problems, like you are going to be someone that finds solutions. And I think that that's something like when I first saw that quote about entrepreneurship, it's like the light bulb goes off in my head of like, that is what, this, that is what entrepreneurship is, is um, being very solution-oriented and finding solutions. And so that absolutely stemmed from them. I'm fortunate that I had that support. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: If you were to tell somebody out there, um what the peace corps is really like rather you know reading reviews reading their website what what's the candid behind the scenes feedback of Peace core in your experience?
1: Um, Talk to people that have done it. Um, Also know that talk to people that have done it that have had awesome experiences. Talk to people that have had terrible experiences and understand why they didn't enjoy their experience. I do think that mindset is a really important part of it. If you're super adaptable, if you're super flexible, then I think that you're going to have a much better experience. It's also like what you make of it. If you um, go in and like you take advantage of all of these opportunities, you take advantage of like, the work that you're doing and, like, become really passionate about the work, I think that that's helpful. Um, You know, what I was doing was, uh, and I'm also just, I I think that, like, it's a very good organization. What I was doing is um, they had passed nationally uh, an entrepreneurship curriculum, so it had to be taught in every high school, but they weren't teaching anybody how to teach it. And so we were going in and teaching teachers how to teach entrepreneurship to high school students. Um, So that was part of it. Um, The other part of it was working with like the side projects and finding things that you found that you really cared about. Um, We found, uh, I worked with, actually got to uh, use my jewelry background um, had a women's group that um, I was living on an island that was shifting from an agricultural economy to a tourist-based economy, um, but they were importing all of like the souvenirs from Costa Rica, apparently, um, and so we were helping them to develop businesses, learn how to make new jewelry, and then develop businesses uh, selling these things to tourists um, and helping the local economy. So um, they're still selling their things today, which is pretty cool, uh, and then same thing with uh, a sewing cooperative. So um, these were women that had never had jobs before they never made their own money before financial empowerment is a huge part of this as well Um, and so we were able to help them not only um, sell within the island but just export to the United States and create more opportunities for themselves so um, I had an awesome experience it it was definitely hard Um, it it was not easy I uh, fell into a latrine overnight and got stuck down there. So like real life, that kind of stuff happens. Um, but I would do it all over again.
0: Um, I don't know where to go from that, wow. Well it sounds like that was an amazing experience. So you got back to the States, How? Well, you were 23, 24-ish?
1: Um, 24-ish, I guess.
0: So did you know, like, did you have something line up, like what's next? Yeah. Or how did the Peace Corps help you? Because I know you said you went to UT Austin for grad school what was between
1: <laughs> <the horns. laughs> what was between
0: that UT Austin and then 1776? Yeah. so what did the next couple years look like yeah
1: so when i i think for me i'm i'm very much a mission driven person i have to believe in what i'm working on that is what for me guides me in everything that i'm doing um, i found out pretty quickly when i was in the peace corps and i was working next to and enough no fault to it but i was working next to other international organizations that were doing development work, and I was looking at what I was doing, and it was like, I don't need to develop this like huge infrastructure project to have impact in this community. I need to find those really awesome driven entrepreneurs that are already doing good work, give them the resources they need so that they can help to develop this community on their own. Um, I felt very strongly about you know global entrepreneurship is something that's very important, and we just need to give those entrepreneurs more resources. Um, and so when I was in, Nicaragua and I was leaving I came back to, um, I laugh about this now, um, I came back and directly went into graduate school two weeks later after i gotten back from being gone for two and a half years. Um, so that was quite a uh, culture shock um, to come back and I went to graduate school for um, global policy. So for me it was instead of um, At the time, getting an MBA and maybe if these entrepreneurs are already very strong in business skills, how can I give them a different perspective and skill set, aka like understanding how to navigate public affairs to grow their socially based companies. Um, So I went back and got a um, degree in public policy, global policy. Yeah, and the first night that I was out, it's a funny story. I actually just got engaged last week. Um, Thank you. Um, But first night out at graduate school, it was, um, I met my now fiancé. I think that's the first time I've ever said that word. Um, It's weird. Um, But I met him, and it was like, he was like, I just got back from Senegal. And I was like, Senegal? Like, what were you we doing in Senegal? And he was like, I was visiting my host family. I was like, were you a Peace Corps volunteer? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, I just got off the boat two weeks ago. And he touches my shoulders and goes, are you okay? <laughs> and I go, we're going to be best friends. And now we're
0: engaged to um,
1: So oh, I'm like a huge proponent of Peace Corps. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, ended up at UT Austin.
0: So, graduate UT Austin, and then what was the what was prior to 1776?
1: So, I was at UT Austin. Um, I ended up spending a lot of my time while I was there. Actually. Um, this tells you my entrepreneurial spirit because I kind of ditched my policy degree and started taking like half of my courses over at the business school and was just like, I'm gonna create this degree. Um, And so I was um, at UT Austin working at a think tank down there called the IC Squared Institute. Um, We were working on building out incubator programs like 1776's program in Ecuador and Southeast Asia and Kenya. Um, And so I was helping them to develop out those programs while I was in graduate school. Um, planned to stay in Austin um, and was, you know, had a job lined up. And at that point, um, uh, part of the organization that I was working with, um, they had something to do with 1776. I saw 1776, like, on the bottom of a brochure was like, oh, that's interesting. Let me go Google that. What are they doing? And then I got on their website and was like, that's where I want to be. Like, that is, they're doing exactly what I want to be doing. Um, That is who I want to work with. Um, And so I, you know, world is small. And as you start doing what you're doing, you're going to realize that you're just a few degrees of separation from a lot of different people. Um, And so I had a mutual friend that was at 1776 and just started having the conversations with them. Um, I will say like my pro tip on how to get a job is volunteer with that organization that you want to work for. Um, I think that is that is how I landed my job at 1776. They had a Challenge Cup series where they um, travel around the world to find the very best entrepreneurs working in sectors of healthcare, education, transportation, social issues. Um, And then they, um, so it's like a global cup, kind of like a mad, uh, what is it? The March Madness for entrepreneurship. So I volunteered at that in Austin, um, then went and was doing work in Southeast Asia, like with this IC Squared Institute. Um, And then it was, they remembered that I had volunteered with them. They had a job that came available that they didn't post. I'd had conversations with them and I was having conversations early. I wasn't just applying to a job. I was having conversations through, they put a name with a face and was like, that person's a team player if they're volunteering at this organization. Um, And then they ended up calling me while I was in Indonesia and saying like, we need to launch our second space. Um, We need someone to do it. And we need someone to like move to DC very quickly to do it. And I was like, cool, I'm back like in a couple weeks and let's start packing bags. Um, so that's kind of how that transition happened.
0: Wow. You've, so you've seen a lot of part of the world. You've been to a lot of different places here in the States. The thing that I keep thinking though is, I think there's people uh, in the audience potentially even watching this that are like, I would love to be Noel London but and travel and, and have those experiences. But they might not have the courage. They might not have the support, the experience. What would your advice be to them? Is it, is it get started? And if so, where, doing what?
1: Do it. Just do it. Like, I mean, it's, I think like taking risk is, it's scary, but like you, especially when you are, and I don't know, we never did the poll of like where everybody is in their career and kind of where, you know, if you're straight, if you're right in college, if you're like straight out of college. Um, but I would just say like, do it and do it while you're young. I mean, even myself, of, you know, I constantly have this conversation of like, I wanna go back abroad and live abroad again because I'm wanting to open my own company and do my own company now um, at some point soon. Um, And so for me, it's like, I wanna go, but like life gets more complicated as you're going on and on. And so really thinking about, making those steps and like be bold while you're young because it's gonna get so much harder. You have so much less to lose when you're young. Like you don't have furniture that you're lugging around. Like when you are, yeah, I mean, that's that stresses me out now when I think about moving abroad. It's like that was so much easier when I didn't own anything, you know? <laughs> Um, and now I have a dog and like, what do I do about that? I can't move because he's going to have to go under the plane. So I like, just don't think I can move abroad again. Um, so just like, think about those things, um, and, and do it now and do it while you're young and, and like, it really will be okay. And it's like all of these things, it's, you're going to have stumbling blocks. Like you're going to have like you're gonna fall down and like that is okay it's like you thought you're gonna do a conference you went and did a fireside chat series because you're learning along the way and you're changing and like the same thing of I thought I was supposed to leave Peace Corps go for Peace Corps like right when I graduated and I didn't and like it turned out to be awesome that I didn't and it's like just making those decisions and everything's going to happen and I mean, like, don't feel like you need to have it all figured. And I know this is like kind of sounds cliche, but it's the same stuff that I remember going through of like, I'm supposed to have this figured out. It's February of my senior year. And like, what do I do when I graduate? And being super stressed out about that. But like, you really are not supposed to know. And honestly, when I look at my friends and my friend group, it's like the most interesting people that I have in my friend group, the people that I want to spend the most amount of time with, like, They, they like, took those risks. They didn't have it figured out when they were young. Like, the friends of mine that did have it figured out, that they were like, this is the career path of, like, I'm supposed to get this grade point average so I can get into this consulting firm and then I can get this job. Like, those are the friends that are now coming back to me and being like, how do you, like, do something different, you know, and so really, don't freak out. You make like these small decisions. It all becomes part of your story. It all becomes part of your like quilt, so to speak. And like you get where you need to be. Um, so yeah.
0: That's a quotable right there. I love that the quilt. So I'm fascinated, and I, I just moderated a panel last week. But it sounds like you didn't live in the middle, and I think that's where a lot of society uh, we get put in the middle. There's and, a lot of pressure and, and, for that. There is, uh, and it kind of comes easier sometimes, but. I'm very fascinated on this rubber band effect. And it sounds like you've pulled on yourself several times. You fell in a ditch. Like, like you've and taken a latrine, a latrine. You've, yeah. taken, you've taken sacrifices. Yeah. And I know the Peace Corps, like it probably doesn't pay a ton, um, yeah. but it seems like now you're yeah. propelled the other way. So like, yeah. can you talk about that whole not living in the middle rubber band effect? Like, like how, can, how can one get into that? Like they feel like they're living in the middle what should be something they could start doing to feel like they're making a sacrifice or they're doing something where they're going to move forward. Cause I, I think, think there's like, a lot of people that feel like they might be stuck.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think stay curious. And like when you feel like you're stuck, like, I mean, I think we all have to have those, like, it's not like you just get to a place and then you don't have to continue learning about yourself and asking yourself questions about where you want to be. Like when you feel like you're stuck, like it's, I mean you can be whatever part in your career like you have to keep asking yourself have to keeping like what drives me what am i passionate about and do that exercise with yourself and figure out there's so many cool like events like this or there are cool opportunities there are classes like you want to learn how to like finger weave take a class at lemon bowl you want to like they're cooking classes, there are all sorts of things. And I think it's easier than ever to be able to be curious of you have meetup groups for everything. Um, and so like tap into that, especially, I mean, I don't know where everyone's watching from, but in the DC area, it's so easy to be curious and there is so much going on and it's a very comfortable environment that is inviting to a lot of different people for networking and for connections. Like. If you're interested in entrepreneurship, there are tons of cool blogs that you should be a part of, like DCNO technically, get on our email listserv and learn about what our entrepreneurs are looking or are, are working on. Um, there are like DC Tech Meetup groups. There, I mean, there's so much stuff out there. And so just go to those things, like make a thing where it's like every single week I am going to spend like one evening, like go and do something new and that is like it's on your calendar if you want to call it refresh Sunday, like whatever you want to call it, like make sure that you're holding yourself accountable to that and make sure that you're actually taking um, advantage of the resources around you because it's easy to get stuck and like everyone does and you kind of get in that grind but like pull yourself out of that by thinking about like what do I care about and like what are cool things like if you like, I mean like, Flowers, there are like flower arranging classes that you can go and take. Like there's so many, and I'm obviously like showing my like crafty side, Um, but there are so many things like that that you really can take advantage of. General Assembly, if you want to learn how to code, like go to a coding course.
0: Are you going to be making your own flower arrangements for your wedding?
1: (laughs) I don't know. You're going to get crafty. I'm going to get crafty. (laughs) I've already been warned, don't get too crafty.
0: (laughs) So, uh, I have a couple more questions I want to get to before we do Q&A, but, because this 7076 is social entrepreneurship based. I'm curious, what is your definition uh, of social entrepreneurship with your experience? And now with 7076 and all the companies you see changing the world, what would your tagline or definition of that be?
1: Oh, so apparently I learned there was like not even a definition for social entrepreneurship until like 2009. Um, and so it was like, this is something very new. And I think that a lot of people are defining. I think that at 1776, we take it different definition than what some other groups might take. Um, For us to be a member of 1776, you actually do have to be a highly scalable company um, and have some sort of social mission attached to it. So social entrepreneurship sometimes gets lumped into like the nonprofit world. Like for us, that's not our definition. For us, it's more like social enterprise. So you're a highly scalable company, but you have a social focus attached to what you're doing. Um, For example, we have some really, Cool companies, And I think that's one of my favorite parts of my job is I get to work with some companies doing just really interesting things. Um, Micro Benefits is a company that they're doing workforce training apps for blue collar workers in China. So in um, Apple and Nike factories, um, the workers are actually having the app so that they can, maybe they start at a very low skills job, but they're actually through the app able to train themselves so that they can progress and, and get even better jobs. Um, And so that's a company that I think is really interesting. I'm trying to think SUMA, we've just launched this new cohort program at 1776, which we're really excited about. Um, We're in beta of that right now, but it's a 12 week curated program. And we have um, someone from a company called SUMA. So they're actually doing a blue apron type of company, but for people on WIC or food stamps. Um, So really like expanding the bottom of the pyramid of, you know, it's not just something that, you know, more wealthy people have access to. It's, it's like really expanding that kind of service across the board. Lender is another company that we work with that um, even when we think of like shared economy, um, we think of the Ubers and Lyfts of the world. Like actually they're kind of exclusive to people that don't have cars that are brand new. Um, and so, what lender is doing is they are um, actually giving loans to folks that want to be Uber and Lyft drivers, so they have access to um, be able to buy those cars and actually participate in the sharing economy. So I think that we're going to start seeing more and more things like that. Um, you know, I think what maybe it's a little bit of like stubbornness on our part, um, but I think that we are out to prove we have a venture fund associated with us. And when we have a venture fund, we're not just investing like money in these companies and thinking that it's going nowhere. Like we go by venture principle, so we expect returns on all of those investments. We're expecting the same returns on those investments as a, a VC firm expects. So that means that we are out to prove like you can build a highly scalable company um, that does create strong returns, but also strong social returns.
0: Uh, where where can people find out about more of those companies? Is it just going 70 to website or events or like do you have a directory? Or... Yeah,
1: so um, we do have a directory on our website. We're getting new companies on the platform daily and so it's not super up to date. Um, I would say if you go onto our website, 1776.vc as in venture capital, upper right hand corner there's a subscribe button and you can get on our newsletter. And that is a really cool newsletter because we have this insights blog. Um, so we're highlighting those companies and telling you a little bit about like Dorsada is doing electronic health records. We're doing a whole blog post on will the changes in ACA actually affect companies like that. So um, that's a really cool blog for you to be a part of and see like what's going on within the industry. Um, I would also say we do have an events calendar. Most of our events are actually for 1776 members only, but um, we do have a number of public events. And so I would get involved in that. We're doing cool stuff with GA every single week on like women in tech um, on, you know, intro to, uh, digital marketing, X, Y, Z. Um, so events, calendar, blog, um, our website, you can also come and like take a tour of 1776 and we're happy to do that and show you around and introduce you to some people.
0: Cool. We'll get to your, how they can connect you at the end. Uh, so I have about three rapid fire ish questions. Um, and then we'll turn over to you guys if you have questions. So the, I love asking this question. Um, but has there been one person or one moment that has had the, an impact on your life? And if so, what was it? Actually, that, that's I, like, not rapid fire. I hate these <laughs> ones. I'm
1: really bad at favorites. So um, uh, I would, I mean, it would be my it would be my dad, for sure, yeah. um, it has had the most impact on my life. Um, he was the one that, like, when I was in the fourth grade, was making me learn what supply and demand was and teaching it to my class. <laughs> Um, when I was in fourth grade and so it was like he and like while all the other kids were at the pool in the summer I was doing math workbooks um that's like always been uh just kind of like pushing me and challenging me and being like like grad school professor told me um when I was not doing well in my statistics class that for me perseverance was what was going to take me far in life it was not my uh analytical, my, my analytical ability. Um, and so I think that that's like a a trait that definitely came from my dad of, you know, I was, I'm, I'm, I wasn't the smartest kid in my class, but he would still make me take the AP classes and be the, you know, it was all like one through 10 in my class and like, you know, and then there's me. Um, and so I think like continuing to push me, um, is definitely something that's come out
0: now. All I can envision and some people might laugh at me. I feel like your parents are a mashup between the mean girl parents and the easy A parents. So, I like, wish I could I, I, like I wish so I could envision
1: cool. that, but I'm really like, bad really at pop culture like, references.
0: Like I re- <laughs> Have you seen either movie?
1: Mean Girls, yeah, but I don't know the parents.
0: Easy A parents. I feel like they're they're a combination of both parents. They're I'm the gonna coolest parents. I'm going
1: to go watch that. Now, I, you better be saying that, nice things about No, them. very
0: okay. very good. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Um, Go home and watch EZA. Um, Second last question. What would you tell, trying to see how I want to frame this, what would you tell either your college senior self or your uh, just finishing Peace Corps self? If you had to go back a couple years, what would you tell yourself?
1: I think that those are both like inflection points where you want to. Where, like, there's a lot of soul searching when you find yourself looking at job boards and you're like, but I feel overqualified or I'm underqualified. Um, I would say, like, no matter what, where you are and and the anxiety of am I going to get the right job, I would always say, like, use every single experience that you have as a learning experience of, like, you might not be, you're not going to be in your dream job when you graduate from college. You're going to be doing copies and, like, You need to be the best damn copy maker that like ever was at that office and show them like that you are not above that and you are going to do a better job at making those copies than anyone else. Um, So I would say like know that like it is a pathway. You are not the boss when you graduate college. You are not the boss when you graduate Peace Corps. And you need to be okay with that. And if anyone senses otherwise, then like you're not, they're not going to like you. Um, So, I would just, like, be humble about that and know that there is something that you can learn from every single experience that you have. If you find yourself in the point where, like, you're not learning anything, then that's a problem, but I'm positive you can find something that you can learn from every single experience. If you have a terrible boss, like, you're learning from that boss the boss that you're not going to be when you are the boss.
0: Another quote (laughs) of one. (laughs) <laughs> Actually, so thank you, Rod. That's, that's another good point, is I, and I mentioned this to you before we started, is I feel like people push their comfort zone, people done what they needed to do, and then they land in an organization they're like, this is my niche. I love what I'm doing. But then for some reason, the leadership or mission doesn't add up. What, why is that, especially with our age group or our generation?
2: What is the question?
0: So, so th- they have found an area or industry or a job they love, But when they get there, the leadership just doesn't motivate them or or it's not mission driven. It doesn't add up to what you and I are talking about.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that that's like the culture of wherever you are transcends from the leadership that's there. And, um, you know, at that point you have the the choice of like do you stay somewhere because you really believe in what they're doing or do you stay somewhere like as a person who are you like do you need to be mission driven and that's what makes you wake up every day or do you need to wake up and follow someone's really awesome vision and like that's what motivates you and so I think that that's kind of a question you have to ask yourself of do I need that vision do I need that really good vision that's what motivates me that's what I run after or like do I know fundamentally that I am making a difference every day when I wake up? Um, again, I don't think that it's. I mean, f- until you like work for your. If, if it's the mission part of things, until you work for yourself and you have the ability to build the company that you want, like yeah. it's never you're going be to be, be perfect. For else. Yeah. It's never going to be perfect. Yeah. Um, so you just have to find like what are those nuggets of things that you're learning through that experience.
0: Cool. Um, so. I don't have a question at the end, but this is your platform. So is there any piece of advice, whether it's to a college student, freshman, or senior graduating, or somebody out there that's, you know, three, five, ten years in their career, anything other advice or tactic to find a job they love?
1: Again, I would say the volunteer piece is is super important. Um, I I think that is honestly, every job, like pretty much every job, including me being a professional volunteer with the Peace Corps, like every job I've ever gotten has been through volunteering for the organization. And so, um, especially like companies that are doing cool stuff, if you're in the startup world, like everyone always needs extra hands all the time. Um, So show up when they need you, when they need somebody. And um, I think that that is definitely something that people will remember, Um, especially when it's like, you know, if for us, I think like, challenge cup is like the classic 1776 example where we always need extra hands it's it's this huge um festival that we put on for a week straight and we're so understaffed every time and like so need extra help um so think about like ways that you can kind of help people out i know um someone i like interviewed for a job with me and and like i with when she was interviewing for the job she was like asking me some very like interesting questions throughout the interview. Um, And then she came back and it was something of like, what do you need for XYZ? And it was like startup recruitment at the time. And she like sent me over like, three days later this whole like wish list of like really cool startups that we should have an eye on and be looking at and so she like had shown me like that she was listening and she showed me like and it's actually like a really good list that we actually have used. Um, So I would say like thinking about ways to help people out and people really appreciate that and it shows them um, that you're a team player because like that's something that's really important everywhere. Um, The other thing is just like for me and and I have a different style than, you know, you do or everyone's different. For me, I'm always looking at the organization. I'm not thinking about a job and applying to like a job on a website. It's like find organizations that motivate you um, that you would love to work for and like find your connection points. Um, It might sound cliche, but like look on your LinkedIn, see who's connected to them, find endpoints. Um, not in, like, a creepy, I just applied for this job, like, please answer my email, but more in the, like, genuinely, I want to know what your job is like. I want to know what it's like to work here um, and, like, kind of make it a little bit more organic and natural and genuine um, than just the transactional I'm applying for a job. So start that relationship building early and find, like, companies that, that make you excited.
0: Love that advice. I love it. Um, thank you so much, Noelle. Yeah. Noelle and I have been talking over the phone for like since probably, like, Late summer of last year, when we were playing the conference, uh, we got connected through a mutual uh, colleague. And now, I actually, you got to sit down with a little bit more about you. But uh, thank you yeah. so much. Uh, give a round of applause for Noel. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think we have at least five or so minutes for a handful of questions. And I know Noel and I will be up here for the next half hour so networking and chit chatting. But um, who has a, a question or dying to ask Noel? about Peace Corps, or we'll go with Rod back there. So being the oldest guy in the room by a long shot, uh, we, we hire a lot of young people these days, and we're trying to still figure out how do you work
1: one? Ooh, but, good one. question. What, what do you guys work It's so interesting. It's so, yeah. it is so interesting. Um, you know, I've had I've had people that have worked for me before that have, you know, great accounting skills ended up doing a whole spreadsheet on what they thought was substantive work and non-substantive work because they had logged for two whole months every single thing that they'd been doing every single day and put together a pie chart on what was substantive and non-substantive. Um, and in my head, I'm like, those are awesome skills. How about you, like, find a problem and use them to, like, do something with them? Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a challenge. I think finding... Um, making sure that that's what you're interviewing for is, I mean, the word grit, like you're, that's what you're interviewing for. Everything that you're interviewing for is not necessarily the standard interview questions, but like, when is the time that you've been the most challenged? Like, um, what did you do about it? When was the time where something was, you know, you found a problem within what you were working on and where you were extremely solution-oriented and poking for questions of like what are the skill set that maybe you don't love about millennials um, and make sure that you're hitting on those things in your interview. And then I think that um, the advice that I've always been given and it's tough especially with millennials who expect a job offer when you are, you know, interviewing them, but like have them come and work for you have them volunteer at a stressful event and see how they interact through it. Um, I think that those are things like watching them in action and then showing, you know, these are things that um, interviewing for the right skills that you're looking for. Um, I know like one of our, um, someone that that I hired that has just been awesome, um, and he's like basically the POC now in Crystal City, he came from a non-traditional background where he was the first person in his family to ever go to college, and so you know, t- hearing about his experience of like he didn't necessarily have the sport and how hard that he had to work to get to where he is was like exactly what I needed in that role, and he's like been awesome in that role. Um, so I don't know, if that helps at all. That is a great question. Um, you know, I I think that we're getting a lot of questions about that right now, Of like what's going on. I think that really everyone is kind of pausing. No one knows what's happening. Um, you know, like is this going to affect them? Is it not going to affect them? Um, you know, we've had a couple of reporters come to our startups asking about that. I mean, we have... it it really depends on what you're working on. Um, you know, if you're, if you're a healthcare startup that depends on selling your product to insurance companies and now that's no longer covered from insurance companies, yes, you are going to be affected. Um, and so that's the joy of entrepreneurship of like, you never get comfortable because as soon as you think you're comfortable, it's, pivot, pivot, pivot and like move into something else and so um, whether that means like now you're a B2C company and selling directly to customers or now like you can't sell directly to customers and you need to go B2B, I think it's just like be on your toes and always never get comfortable. You're always anticipating um, how you're going to have to shift and adapt or die I guess. Um, Yeah, we have other companies that are working. with the military and so like increases in military spending will probably affect them um, and they're doing very cool work like connecting families with troops their sandbox um, they're a really cool company in town they're doing really well um, so it, it really depends and I think we're all just trying to understand like hang tight I think yeah
0: so yeah great question great answer uh, maybe one more question in this side of the room or anybody else Go ahead. Hi. What do you feel is the most important skill, be technical or soft skill that women should focus on developing? Um,
1: so I would say one, and I say it because I don't have this skill, and I wish I did, is um, it's not a soft skill, but developing tech skills of not necessarily you don't need a CS degree, you don't need um, to be an engineer, so to speak. Um, But I think that everything these days, like you need some sort of knowledge of um, coding or technical skills. Um, You know things where even like being able to edit a website or being able to read basic code Because even if like and I again I'm always coming from like the entrepreneurship lens because that's what my world is right now Um, You know I even if I want to start my own company, and I'm a non-technical co-founder I'm gonna have to hire somebody and speak their language to make that decision if I don't know what I'm talking about I'm gonna hire someone waste a ton of money, waste a ton of time because they're like saying they can build something when they don't actually have the capabilities. And so to kind of keep other people honest, you're going to need those skills. Um, There are tons of also resources, even if you're beyond college and like I'm considering doing it myself, General Assembly who we partner with at 1776, um, they're doing, you know, intro to Python, intro to Ruby on Rails, they're doing all of these classes. So you can take those as like nighttime classes um, to brush up on those skills. Um, And then soft skills, Um, I think it just goes back to, you know, your question of being adaptable, being flexible, being humble. Um, it's, It's tough because we're like in a world where on social media, like we're supposed to be out and about and like showing everyone what you're doing all the time and like, you know, singing your praises. And I think that it's like a really tough position to be in. Um, of like how you know confident should you be how like humble should you be and and it's like we're in a world that's kind of showing us to be very com- or or I guess like incentivizing confidence right now but in terms of working for um, working for a boss being a team player um, is huge and I think that that whatever you need to do basically to be a team player like be adaptable be flexible be humble. Um, That's going to take you far, and and I know maybe it doesn't always seem that way, but um, I am determined in my lifetime to prove that like those people that are the team players are the people that are going to get where they need to go.
0: Um, One more time for Noel. Thank you for those answers. Again, special thanks to our Niche Movement team, a round of applause for you guys, thank you. Um, everybody out there, Heidi, Amy, Juliana, Kelly, Camille, Dan, uh, Amy, everybody out there, uh, thank you guys for your help. But to all of you who came to the audience tonight, thank you. Uh, I know we'll be sending out a follow-up email how you can connect with Noel as well as this video or podcast recording and uh, the, the great thing here this is one of these six events coming up we have one on April 18th with the Chief Marketing Officer of Social Tables a really hot startup here in DC uh, Trevor Lynn he's probably 28 and and he's the CMO there uh, we'll be doing it here at White WeWork White House and we have another series of events between here to Boston so feel free to check them out and if you know friends or you're traveling and they happen to fall on those dates please uh, feel free to come by uh, we'd always love to see you guys but Noelle and I will be up here for at least the next 20, 30 minutes mingling and breaking down, but uh, there's beer and pizza, and uh, we'll put some music back on. But thank you guys so much for coming out.